morning. Glad you guys are here this morning. If you're joining us online, I'm glad you joined us this morning. My name is Sean, and uh, we are working through the book of Hebrews. So if you have a Bible, you want to turn to Hebrews 5 is where we're going to be. Hebrews 5 is where we're going to be um, today. As um, you guys saw in the video, we would love for you to get signed up for Rooted. If you haven't gone through Rooted before, it's 10 weeks. It starts tonight. Um, it's, it's a big commitment. 10 weeks is a long time, but this is what I tell people all the time, right? Um, the things that matter take time. So we'd love for you to get signed up for Rooted. Now, here's the deal, okay? I think there are only three spots left. Um, the current system for getting yourself signed up that are expired last week. So if you want to get signed up for Rooted, talk to me after service today. Um, if you join us online, you can email me at Sean and Mimes to see, and uh, we, will, we will see if there's still a couple of those spots left to get you signed up because it starts tonight at uh, 6. 6 p.m. So here we go. Matt, uh, Hebrews, man, years of Matthew. I just <laughs> intrinsically want to say Matthew. Uh, Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5. Let me read to you a couple verses, starting in verse 7. And then I want to read these verses. They're incredibly rich, thick, complicated verses. Um, there we go. They're, they're incredibly rich. Um, thick and complicated verses, um, but we're actually today just going to look at one single phrase. Okay, so here it is, uh, Hebrews 5, verse 7. You ready? It says this, in the days of his flesh, now, now it's talking about Jesus, okay, it's kind of a poetic way of talking about when, when Jesus was um, walking the earth as a man, right? Okay, in, in, in Jesus' day of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud cries, and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of of Melchizedek. Now, I just have to acknowledge, right, if, if you're, uh, you haven't spent a lot of time around church, you haven't spent a lot of time studying scripture, you haven't spent a lot of time studying well, there's a lot of words and phrases in there that are just kind of overwhelming. There's talking about Melchizedek and high priest and, and, and um, supplications and all these types of things. There's so much. In, in weeks to come, in a couple weeks, um, we're going to get to another section in Hebrews and we're going to talk about Melchizedek and the priesthood and all those types of things. For today, we're just going to pause that conversation because the phrase I want to look at is a peculiar phrase to me. It was a little bit startling when I read it. It says this, verse 8. You ready with me? Verse 8, it says this. Although he was a son, he learned obedience. He learned obedience. Maybe, maybe he asked the same question I, I would ask what do you mean, learned obedience? How did Jesus learn anything? If you are here last week, right? If you were here last week, we were in Hebrews 4, and uh, one of the things that I said was that, you know, sometimes we say, uh, there's nothing God can't do, and that's actually not biblical, that's actually not true. There's a lot of things God can't do. Okay, and if you want to hear about all that, you can uh, listen to last week's sermon. But one of the things that I said was that God can't be surprised you remember? God can't be surprised. You know why he can't be surprised? Because he 
knows everything. And he knows everything. You can't suddenly not know something and then go, what? What? Colorado was overrated? What? God already knew that. Before the foundation of the earth, he knew. And the ducks would embarrass him. Okay? All glory to God. Um, he can't be surprised. And so, so we look at this passage in Hebrews 5, and it says he learned obedience. We go, what's it mean for Jesus to learn something? Um, I think it was the summer before my sophomore year. Well, it was actually the spring before my sophomore year. Um, if you've been around here a while, you probably know this. Um, but you may not. Is um, My family, we're kind of boat people. Okay? Um, my dad does a lot of bass fishing. Growing up, we did a lot of water sports. We did tubing and skiing, and, and we did all that kind of stuff. And um, the, the, the spring, in the spring of my freshman year, there was this new water sport that was really kind of catching on everywhere. And we decided we'd get into it. A lot of people were doing it. It was really popular. Um, it was called wakeboarding. Right? And so I remember one spring day, I don't know if it was March or April, uh, my dad on his way home from work, he stopped at Big Five or Sporting Goods Place and he, and he bought a wakeboard. Right? And that summer we were going to learn to wakeboard. And so when you got the wakeboard, it came with this um, packet of information. There's a website, you go watch videos, it had some really bad artist rendering of how you wakeboard. Right? It was basically like, hold on and stand up. Right? And, and, but I can tell you, I watched that video over and over and over again. Throughout, throughout the spring, as we were getting closer and closer to some family vacation trips in eastern Washington, I, I, I wanted to be fully ready. And if you'd asked me in May, when I was 15 years old, Sean, do you know how to wakeboard? You know what I always said? Of course I know how to wakeboard. We got a wakeboard out in the garage. We got a wakeboard room. We got a boat. And I got me. The only things you need to wakeboard. But we went out to Eastern Washington and we went to go um, wakeboard. And I spent all I probably could have I probably could have recited the instructional video to you by the time we went out to a bank's like to go learn wakeboard. I was first born in the water, we had this 50-foot tow rope, and my dad, he's a big bass fisherman, so he's got this bass boat. And if you don't know anything about bass boats, here's one thing you should know: bass boats go really fast. Right? They're designed to go really fast. There was a point in time um, where my dad used to use used to wear a helmet when he would go on fishing tournaments, just so that if he crashed, his helmet, his head stayed in one piece. We could just find it bobbing out of the water somewhere, right? Because this point at the time, if you uh, low sixties, low, 60. low <laughs> he humbly nods, low seventies. Have you ever done 70 miles an hour across the top of the water? It's a bit terrifying. His, his boat now goes even faster than that, but. Powerful boat designed to go fast. Tons of power behind this boat, right? And I get out in the water and I got the wakeboard and, and uh, holding the handle and you know it says, hold on tight. There's gonna be a lot of force right at the beginning, but as soon as the force releases, you're gonna be up on top of the water, then you gotta make sure to lean back to keep the edge of the water in the edge of the board in the water so you have some control. And I thought, this is gonna be cake, right? When I was eight years old, I rode a skateboard. That's gotta be the same thing. Once I went snowboarding, how much harder, how different could it be than snowboarding? We get back there, and I hold on to that handle with all the muscle I have in my body, and just, and let me tell you, I make a really good anchor. <laughs> my dad hits it on that boat, and this one does, 
until the point comes when I can't hold on any longer, and I don't go the road, and it comes back around. We do it again. Okay? Now, here's something else you should know about me. Um, I teach physically at 15 years old. Okay? <laughs> all down here from here. Um, 15 years old, right? And so I was training for football all the time. I was being the football. I mean, I was, I was squatting somewhere and they put a 500 pounds at the time, right? Like, I had some power. Don't, and I just became a water guy. Just, just absorbing just all the water that I could and would just drink. And I remember we did this a couple times and I'd sit back and say, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to hold on. And I would treat it like a single skin. You've never got a single skin. You just hold on for dear life. That's how you learn a single skin. And so I just hold on and push. And I, I got ski gloves to hold on as tight as I could. And one time I'm holding on to this handle so tight. Okay, My dad is right here. He can tell us about this. Okay? I'm holding on the handle so tight, this 50 foot rope begins to stretch, and by the time I let go of it, it snaps back with so much force that it goes flying up and it hits the boat, and it snaps, smashes a big old piece of plastic off the engine. I didn't know how to make board. I knew all the things here. I, I knew all the techniques and all the conversations that I could recite to you. I could have probably sat in the water and taught you how to wait for it. No, for There's an old um, rabbinic wisdom saying, and it says this: It says, "You have not learned a thing until you've done a thing." What does it mean to learn obedience? What does it mean for Jesus to learn to do obedience? I, I, I wonder. Um, I wonder if it was in Luke four. There's a there's a story in Luke four. Uh, if you like follow along or you like take notes, you can look it up. Uh, Luke 4. And um, Jesus has just been baptized. Okay? Now, um, it's a high watermark for Jesus' life. Right? I mean, this is like a, a cool moment for Jesus. He's been baptized. You remember the story? He goes to John the Baptist who's baptizing people. It's his cousin. And, and he says, uh, I need to get baptized in obedience. Right? And, and for all righteousness sake. And John says, oh, <laughs> I couldn't even touch your sandals. I couldn't touch your feet. Let alone take your whole body to mercy. Like, I'm not the one to do it. And Jesus says, you've got to do it. And so he does. And then when he comes out of the water, a voice from heaven speaks. This is my son. That's as deep as my voice gets, just in case you want to know. In whom I'm well pleased. When you got baptized, did a voice from heaven speak? <laughs> right? Jesus gets baptized, and a voice from heaven declared, This is my son. And there's all this crowd here. Jesus in front of God. This is an awesome moment. And, and you think, you think, like, he could go from this high moment, all these people see and hear this voice speak. This would be the perfect launching point for him to start to go out and to proclaim the kingdom of God, to proclaim the message of salvation. But he doesn't. It says instead, in Luke 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, that's where he got baptized, and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. He goes from this high water mark to wandering in the wilderness for 40 days without eating and drinking. Now, my translation, it's, it says um, that he, the Spirit led him around. 
And that's fine translation. Your, your translation might say that the Spirit led him to the wilderness. Or it may say, um, one of my favorite translations for this passage, it says that he drove him into the, into the wilderness. Right? Because the actual phrase that's used there is rarely used of people. It's actually used of, of animals. Right? It's the same phrase that would be to say that you drove cattle or you drove sheep or you led a horse or a camel or a donkey. You take them by a harness and you take them places they may not want to go. The wilderness, I can imagine for Jesus, he was fully managed just like this. The wilderness was not a place he wanted to go. And yet he was led there. And it, maybe that was the moment that he learned Obedience. You see, um, when I was in junior high or high school, I don't remember exactly when, um, I got to live out every four-year-old girl's dream. Okay? We got a pony. You seem unimpressed. We got a pony. And, and, and I don't mean to say, like, like we had horses. Ha oh, ha, horses. John Wayne. Ha ha. And we had bulls. Ha ha, right? Like I was riding bulls. Or, no, 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 no. We had a pony and 10 chickens. Okay? And every once in a while, we decide, you know what? We should go ride the pony. This is, this is, doesn't that sound like what every like, high school boy wants to do is ride a pony around? The pony was uh, tall enough that my feet didn't touch the ground, but not by much. And I was not much smaller than I am now, so you can imagine the joy the pony saw when I came up to the barn. <laughs> and we would ride, we would walk around with, we wouldn't even ride, we would walk around with the pony. Okay? One time I remember trying to uh, do the little and like, Hit him right, you know, like the, like the cowboys do, right? You know what that pony did? It decided to run, and I wasn't ready. So I just rolled off the back of the pony and landed on my head. But there would come a point in time, every time we'd ride the pony, a lot of times it wouldn't take very long. <laughs> One person who had a lot of horses and ponies told us, well, you, you've got to ride her more often to uh, condition her, which I think was a very nice way of saying, you're fat and she's out of shape. Um, <laughs> And we would ride around. And there would come a point in time where the, this pony would decide she was done. Her name was Connie. She'd decide she was done. Didn't matter where she was on the property. Didn't matter if you were on the property or not. She was done. And just to spite you, just to spite you, because Connie was this way, right? The reason we had Connie is because Connie didn't get along well with other ponies, which is hard to do because ponies like, you know, flowers and rainbows, right? And so Connie, Connie was uh, not very friendly, and Connie would decide that she was done with this trip. And so she would stop, and she'd put her feet on the ground, and she'd just start eating grass. And you'd yell at Connie. You'd push Connie. We'd grab the harness, and we'd pull Connie. I could almost pull a bass boat out of the water, and I could not move Connie an inch. Because Connie didn't want to go. There was no leading Connie. If Jesus chose not to go to the wilderness, he wouldn't have gone to the wilderness. Was it in that moment when he saw 40 days of fasting and eventually the temptation by Satan that he learned obedience? There's a passage in Matthew 17. Let me find it for you. Matthew 17. And um, it's a bit of an odd story. It's a story that um, when it comes to 
our pictures of Jesus, it's a story that may be a hard story to figure out how we fit into our stories and our image about who Jesus is. Um, But it says this, Matthew 17, verse 14. It says, when they came to the crowd, this is being Jesus' disciples, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic and he's very ill. For he often falls in the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered him, you unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Was it the moment when, like, frustration began to build up in Jesus? And I can just see this moment, right? Like, Jesus is there with his disciples. They already brought him the disciples, and he's going to lecture the disciples in a minute. And he's going to say, come on, guys. Come on, have I not been with you? Have you not figured this out? Can, can you, I, I can see Jesus in that moment. They come up and Jesus is just going, oh, come on, Father. How long hasn't it been long enough? God, you gave me Peter. I've dealt with him for two years. The dude won't shut up. How much longer? James and John, their anger. How much longer? It was the moment of maybe frustration of disappointment. Maybe, maybe it was in the garden. You probably know the story. Jesus is going to be crucified the next night. He's going to be arrested that night. And he goes to the garden to pray. And he leaves a couple of his disciples just a few feet away from him to pray. And they continue to fall asleep over and over again. And Jesus pleads with God. Do you remember this? He pleads so emphatically. Do not think that Jesus' prayer was some sort of tokenism to to, to, to signal, oh, how hard this is going to be. But God, I know you've got it. In fact, one of the gospel writers tells us that Jesus prays so aggressively that the blood vessels in his forehead begin to burst to where it looks like blood's coming out like tears out of his forehead. And he pleads with God, God, there's got to be another way. Like you spoke all this into existence. You've got to figure out another way. And he pleads with him. He pleads with him. Was that moment? The moment he looks up to heaven to his father and he says these words. He says, but not my will, but yours. I was reading uh, an author and he was talking about obedience. And and he um, he said, obedience is an intersection in which our will and God's will diverge. And, they all, and the intersection always occurs in the valley of suffering. You see, it is no act of obedience to do the things that God's called you to do that you already wanted to do. It would be no act of obedience for Jesus to say, hey, you know what? You know, it'd be really awesome. Like, let's heal some people, Father. And God goes, you know what? I think you should heal some people. And Jesus goes, ah, ha, ha, I had the same idea. Let's, wouldn't that be awesome? But obedience comes in the moments in our life when our will diverges from his. When, when our desires and our dreams and our hopes and our passions 
diverge from his destination for us, for his calling for sanctification and for life and for goodness. And those always happen in the valley of suffering. Like, let's be honest, okay? Let's be honest with you. Obedience is hard. Isn't it? Obedience is hard. Hey, here's the thing. If obedience wasn't hard, life would be easy. Everything would be easy, right? Like, um, if obedience wasn't hard, marriage would be a cake. Wouldn't it? You just read scripture. It says, submit yourselves to one to another as unto Christ. Be easy, right? Oh, cool. I'm going to look out for the other person's interest over mine. Cake. That's easy, right? If obedience was easy, loving your neighbor would be easy because you know what? Jesus just says, love your neighbor. And you go, okay. But you, like me, have neighbors. And they make it complicated. Singleness would be easy. Because you just read the words of Paul and he said, be content in all things. And you go, cool. I'll be content. That's easy. School would be easy. Career decisions would be easy. Parenting would be easy. Not if you were obedient, if your kids were always obedient. Be effortless. We'd all be all stars. But it's not. It's hard. It's strenuous. Sometimes obedience comes through tears. And through prayers that look more like screams. And through heartache. And through suffering. And through our willingness to do just as Jesus has called us to do. To pick up our cross. And to follow him just as scripture tells us to do. To die to our own desires. Here's what I, here's what I know. That for just about every single one of you, right? The, the truth is probably you know what you're supposed to do. You do, right? Maybe for you, maybe for you today, it's a moral issue, right? Like maybe there's something morally like scripture says, you shouldn't do this, right? And you're like, I know I shouldn't. And I can't figure out how not to. And I, and I keep going back to it, right? There's a proverb, there's a little proverb that talks about the man goes back to his sin like a dog returns to his vomit. And like, you know that. Right? Like, I know I just keep going back. I don't know why I go back. You have plans in your mind right now about how you're going to go back. And you know what you're supposed to do. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's not a moral issue. Maybe, maybe there's something God's calling you to in a career decision you need to make. And, and it's something that's amoral. In a relationship? In a life decision? Maybe, 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 maybe God's been speaking to one of you. Um, as an answer to the prayer that Joe challenged us to, that we've been praying as a church, that God would raise up someone out of this church to go to an unreached people group around the world. And maybe you know. Maybe God's been calling you to something and you know. You know. You know. Obedience? Obedience doesn't come in knowing the right things. Obedience comes in doing the things we've been called to do. It comes at an intersection of suffering and tears and pain. But here's the thing. On the other side of obedience, on the other side of the 40 days in the wilderness, was a ministry of life and transformation that transformed humanity. 
at the other side of Jesus' annoyance and exhaustion with his disciples was an unleashing of 11 men and many more disciples that transformed human history because of the message of the gospel. On the other side of the garden was resurrection and life. Question today is, will you? Will you say the same words that Jesus said as he sat in that, in that garden weeping and pleading with God? Not my will, but yours.